Good morning, Harvest family. How are you guys doing? Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, thank you, Mark. Um, you know, on the way here uh, yesterday, uh, my wife and I we were in the car and we were kind of talking and uh, had a ton of emotions just kind of going through my mind and my heart. I'm like, man, you know, we're about to see people we haven't seen in, in four years. Uh, how, you know, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? You know, I was like, am I going to say something stupid? And they'll never ask me to come back ever again. Those are the things that were coming through. But then as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, we're family, right? Like family says stupid stuff all the time. Like you guys just got done with, with Christmas, the holiday season. So you know family says stupid stuff all the time. And so I was like, you know, we don't kick people out of the family after that, right? Hopefully not. And so I was like, I think, I think I'll, be, I'll be good. And uh, so far this morning, this has been really refreshing uh, for myself and, and my wife, Rachel, just seeing a lot of people who, who loved us and cared for us and, and poured into us uh, all those years ago. Uh, you guys, uh, by the grace of God, you, you opened your hands and you sent us out to, to Raleigh-Durham, where we've now been for uh, just a little over four years, and we've seen God do uh, some great things. And uh, throughout those four years, uh, we have not stopped praying for you guys here. Uh, we've prayed for you and, and asked God to continue to have his hand on you, to, to bless you, to, to serve you um, as you guys are here serving faithfully uh, the, the kingdom of God here in Winston-Salem. And it's just so cool to see what God is doing in, in your midst. And so as we've been praying for you, we've been asking and hoping that you guys will continue to pray for us. Because if we're honest, ministry is hard. It's hard work. Um, you know, as you, as you process serving and caring for people who, who are broken, you then begin to realize just how broken you are yourself. It's like, you know, am I equipped and capable of, of doing these things? Like, this is hard stuff. And then it got me thinking a little bit deeper just about work in general, right? And one of the first jobs I ever had, <clears throat> uh, well, I'd say this, one of the first jobs I ever had that made good money, right? So it was landscaping. It was fantastic. I only did it for three months during the summer. It was terrible, Super sanctifying, right? Because it's in those moments where it's hot and things are biting you and you're seeing snakes and I don't like snakes and all those good things that you get, you get really sanctified, right? In those moments. God uses those, those little things to, to shape you. And I remember a conversation I had with uh, my boss uh, at the time and he said, he said, Derek, if someone were to ask you, what do you do for work? Like, what would you tell them? Like, I cut grass. What do you mean, what would I tell them? Right? He's like, he said, oh, man, Derek, like you're, you're missing the forest for the trees. And I was like, ha, ah, you're super punny. I appreciate that. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, being, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. It's, it's more than just cutting grass. We have an opportunity to put our hands to something and leave people in awe. And I was like, okay, it's cutting grass. <laughs> But then now, even, even now, as I have an opportunity to, to put my hands to things, even if it's as simple as cutting grass now, and I, I have a townhome, so I don't have to cut grass right now. But when the time comes where I have my house and I have an opportunity to cut my grass or, or do anything and leave people in awe of what I'm putting my hands to. And it got me thinking about the church, right? Like we have an opportunity to, to do something here right now in our midst to allow the outside world to see and be left in awe. And I believe that's what God is going to be teaching us in, in his word today. If you have your Bibles, you can either turn to or turn on uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 is where it will be today. And just to give you some, some background on, on the book of Ephesians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. 
And what we get to see in the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians is just the truth of the gospel. Who God is, who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. The first half is full of gospel truth after gospel truth. And what I mean by that is in Ephesians chapter 1, we see our union that we now have with Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 as well, we see that we were chosen by him. It goes on in verse 5 that we see that we were adopted into the family of God. It goes on later on in the chapter to show how God is working his power for us and who believe in him. And that's all in just chapter 1. In chapter 2, it goes on to that we see that we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. We see that we were enemies, but now we can be reconciled to God. Not only that, but we, the church, we are being built as a dwelling place for God. In chapter 3, we see this this deep, wide, long, and, and high love that will surprise and surpass all knowledge. So what we begin to see in the first half of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has unfolded for his readers this eternal plan of God with its goal of, of summing up all things into Jesus. To use a biblical term, we, we see a whole lot of doctrine taking place in the first three chapters. But then there's a turn that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 and on where there's this application. So the question we should ask, if, if we've been adopted, if we're no longer an enemy of God, if, if all these things are ours in Jesus, then how do we live in it? What do we do now? So what we see in chapter 4 and on is completely based on the foundation of the readers, of us being reconciled to God in Christ and being made a part of God's new humanity, or to put it simply, the church. And so because we're now put in this new structure, God is calling us to do two things, a a job description, if you will, that we have an opportunity to put our hands on. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that, that through Jesus, we are called to preserve the unity of the church and to serve the church until she is matured so that the wisdom of God might be known. You guys get an added bonus. They didn't have it on the screen in the first service. You're welcome. Come to the later service all the time. Get to sleep in too. Through Jesus, we are called to preserve the unity of the church and to serve the church until she is matured so that the wisdom of God might be known. Harvest family, let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we have an opportunity to look at your word, to be impacted by it, to be transformed by it. Um, I, I pray, God, as we come in here with heavy hearts or things going on, that we could lay that down at your feet and that you would change and transform and do only that what you can do in our lives. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would speak in and through me for your glory and yours alone. I love you. I thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll say this. If you know Jesus, and if you know Jesus, the question is, now you have a job to do. How do you do your job? Whether that be me in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, my doing my thing for the ministry of the kingdom, and you guys here in Winston-Salem, what does that look like for you to do your ministry here? Well, I think through Ephesians chapter 4, we, we see that. And the very first thing that we see that we are called to do is to preserve the unity of the church. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is how? How do we preserve the unity of the church? Well, I think we see that in the text here, that first, that we need to learn to die to ourselves. What is the very first thing that you see that Paul is telling the church at Ephesus to do? He says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that so important? Well, it's important because we see in chapter 2 that our former walk was completely anti the walk that he is calling us into right now. Right, So you don't have to turn there. I'll read this to you. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He goes on to say, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is what our walk consisted of in this previous lifestyle before Jesus, but now we have to walk with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. These are the marks of a walk worthy of our calling. Now, I love the book of Ephesians. If you've never spent any time studying it, I would highly recommend that you get into it because it speaks to the beauty of the diversity of the church. The grace of God was not only given to Jews, but it has now been open to Gentiles as well, which includes you and I. And if you stop to think about it, the universal church is a diverse body, right? Like even right now here in this church, right here, right now, there's a lot of diversity. There's young, old, rich, poor, diversity in ethnicity, so on and so forth. But with diversity comes challenges as well. There are things that are familiar with my culture that you may not be familiar with. There are things that may upset me that may not upset you. There are things that make you happy that may not make me happy. But the point that we begin to see is that Paul is writing this because he knew that with diversity would come personal challenges to fight against attacks, against personal preferences. I'd be remiss to, to not mention that tomorrow the majority of Americans will pause and and remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest civil rights heroes of our time. And if you're familiar with his work and uh, some of his speeches and writings and things, you, you may have heard uh, this quote before. He says that it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. The sad reality is that the most segregated hour in America is still Sunday morning. And it has absolutely nothing to do with legislation. What does that say? It has nothing to do with legislation, but everything to do with preference. If we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, it means that we're going to have to do a lot of dying to ourselves. And that's a tall task to ask, right? Because we're selfish people. I don't know about you guys. I'm selfish. I'll talk about me. But if we're honest with ourselves, we are selfish people. We want what we want. When people step on our stuff, we get upset. When our idols are taken away from us, it ticks us off. But I pray for myself and for others this morning that we won't be discouraged in hearing this because there's good news. You want to know what makes this possible for us to, to achieve the, the humility, the, the gentleness, the patience, the bearing with one another in love? You want to know what makes that easiest for us to do? We can look to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who he's modeled this for us. Stop and think about your own life and who Jesus is and what he's done for you. When it comes to humility, we see in Philippians chapter 2, what? 
that Jesus humbled himself, right? He humbled himself below us as, as a servant. And so when he's raised to, to, to God on high, he brings us up with him, right? When it comes to, to gentleness, the, the book of John calls Jesus the, the good shepherd, that he, he shepherds us with, with gentleness and not that of, a, of an iron fist. When it comes to patience, he isn't angry with us because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. When God sees our sin, it's not one of anger towards us, it's anger towards our sin. But instead of being angry towards us, instead he offers us this long-suffering patience. And the word of God says that that patience, what, leads to our repentance, the bearing with each other in love, even when we mess up over and over and over again, which we will over and over and over again, we are showed grace and mercy and love as the Holy Spirit continues to guide us and keep us. That is how Jesus interacts with us. All these things are offered to us in Jesus. And when we experience these things, our response is to live that now towards other people who we come into contact with. We get an opportunity to model a life that's been modeled to us through Jesus. So we are no longer walking like children of Satan anymore. We walk like children of God. And here's the thing. This doesn't come on any power of our own. Have you ever tried being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with other people? People are frustrated. Oh, my goodness. Right? Like this, we can't do this on our own. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's, it's mind-blowing, right? This, this comes right on the heels of, of chapter 3 where Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you can't do it on your own. <laughs> I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would work in you the will and the way and the strength and the power of God, which is yours through the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't simply end there. In order to continue to preserve unity in the church... We also have to fight for unity. The text says that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That word eager, I like it, but it goes deeper than just that. It, it's a sense of, of urgency, if you will. This is a crisis. This is top priority. And what's interesting about this as well is that the fact that this unity is brought about by God's spirit. The same way that the Holy Spirit strengthens us, he also unites us. He creates it, but then he then instructs us and calls us to urgently maintain it and to do so in the bond of peace. And why is that so important? This unity that we are to fight for is this. It's our union with Christ. You see, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins to unpack the idea of this, this mystery. And that, that mystery is the union of, of Jew and Gentile with, with uh, living with each other ultimately through their union of Jesus Christ. It's union with Jesus, which leads to union with other people. And if I may, church, if we're honest with ourselves, we've done a really poor job of this. We are not good at this at all. The universal church as a whole, we allow so many things to divide us. And Paul knew that the things were going to divide this new church. The Apostle Paul is, is well aware of the endless variety of characters and, and preferences among his readers and the diverse racial and social backgrounds that they were bringing into the church, this new thing. But he wanted them to be more aware of the spiritual realities that now unite them. And that should completely transcend their, their backgrounds and their differences. 
Is he already in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he has spoken of the spiritual blessings that are now shared between Jews and Gentiles. In, chapters two, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, all the barriers between them had been broken by Christ. Christ tore those barriers down. And in chapter 3, he talks about the equal shares, the, the privileges of grace. And here he continues and names what they have in common. Look at verse 4. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's seven ones listed there. To get his point across, Paul is showing the Ephesian church that they are to be unified and to eagerly maintain unity because you're one in Jesus Christ. Our oneness in Jesus should supersede our preferences, our personality, our socioeconomic class, our skin color, the fact that that person has tattoos and the fact that that person doesn't, the fact that that person enjoys steak and this person enjoys salad, the fact that this person for some odd reason wants to run a marathon and then put 13.1 bumper sticker <laughs> on their car. You are so smug. I see you rubbing it in my face. I like to run marathons too. It's called TV marathons, all right? <laughs> I'll repent for it later. But even that person that grinds my gears, I'm called to be unified in one with them in Christ Jesus. Why is this so hard for us to do? It's because we, we have to wrestle against, but we need to remember that we are one in Jesus Christ. We are one in Jesus, but here's the thing. I don't throw away who I am, right? I'm not asking that person who runs marathons to stop running for my sake, right? In the same way, I'm, I'm not asking people to throw away or telling me to throw away who I am, right? I'm beautifully and wonderfully made, praise God, right? Some of you said amen too hard to that. My wife is right over there. Calm down, Okay. Beautifully and wonderfully made, God has created me in such a way that my, my culture, the, my experiences that I, that I have, that, that my shared community, this is who I am. I don't get, just throw those away. However, I need to be willing to lay those things down for the sake of Jesus and who he is. Church, if the, if the Holy Spirit is bringing this about, then we must understand that he isn't contentious. In fact, he binds us together in peace. It's this picture, if you will, if, if we are the bricks, right, the different varying bricks, the Holy Spirit is the cement that holds us all together. And this is vital for the health of the body of Christ, for us to be unified. What we need to understand is that the richness of the us-ness is found in oneness, if you know me, which a lot of you guys do, you know that I love dancing. I love it. I just can't get enough of it. One place that I love to dance at more now that I'm getting older is weddings, right? I love the reception. And I, and I love everything else that comes with weddings, right? I know I need to say that, the covenant that's being created and all that stuff. I love that stuff too. But I love a good reception, and it's for the dancing, you ask my wife, she, she, she doesn't like dancing with me, but I get out there and dance enough for the both of us, it's okay. But what I love about a wedding, and a good DJ, 
mind you, a good DJ, one of the first songs that they play is the cha-cha slide, right? Some, some of y'all are like, yeah, right? Cha-cha, left foot, left stomp, uh, right foot, right stomp, uh, freeze, everybody clap your hands. Okay, y'all were, here's the thing. Sometimes I feel a little embarrassed because I'm more excited about the cha-cha side than what I need to be. And some of you guys are like, oh, okay. I digress. But here's the thing about that, right? So why does the DJ play the cha-cha side? Why is that the first song that he plays? Amen, somebody. You're preaching to me. He gets them involved. He gets the, the wallflowers off the wall. He gets those who would much rather just sit there, you know, at the table, all out, of the t- out of the seat and on the dance floor. You got the, the good dancers, the bad dancers, the grandmas. Man, I love getting it in with the grandmas. We're out there just unified on the cha-cha slide, just getting it in. And I love that. And it is a crazy illustration, <laughs> I know. But think about it. We are unified through Jesus Christ. That means the, the people who are upper class and, or middle class are no class at all. We are unified in Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he has done for us. So not only can we play a part in it, but we've been tasked to preserve now that unity. And when this marks the church, it really speaks loudly to an unbelieving world, right? What did, what did Jesus say in his, in his high priestly prayer as he was praying? He said, they are going to know that, that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. And the reason why is because nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is doing this. We are called to preserve the unity of the church through Christ. We preserve it by walking in a way that puts others first and fighting for this unity. Which leads me to my second point in asking how do we do this. We, second point, we serve the church until she has matured. Look at verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into lower regions, the earth. He also descended is... Uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now there's a whole lot to unpack here, but for the sake of time, we will use uh, Cliff's notes here and, and share what this is talking about. Paul is actually quoting Psalm 68, and the reason why is because Psalm 68 is a, is a victory hymn. And what was typical about uh, kingdoms during that day is if a, if a king would go into a country and he would conquer it, he would come back into his realm with gifts for his people. He would give them gifts. And this was a sign to say that he has defeated and he has conquered everything. Church, may I remind you this morning that our king has conquered, has he not? He came down here. He saw that we were in sin and he defeated death. He defeated sin for our sake. And now he gives us gifts. And it's here at this point that a lot of people begin to, well, all right, well, let me, let me find out what my, my spiritual gifts are, right? But that's not that section right here. That's in, in 1 Corinthians. What, what Paul is talking about right here in this section is specifically the gift of, of leadership here in the church. 
and what their role is for the church. And what is that role? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What Paul wants to stress here is the aim of of strengthening the whole, not just the parts. And again, this isn't easy for us to grasp because a lot of times we're we're very individualistic, right? Like we think about what we we have and and what we want to offer, so on and so forth. But we need to remember that what we have and who we are is to build up the body as a whole. This is the aim of your ministry, my ministry, and every ministry of a Christian, to build up the body of Christ until she has matured. We see that in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, Pastor Mark already mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. I have two little ones. My daughter, True, she's six. My son, Michael, he's four. They are a lot of fun outside of my wife. They're probably two of my most favorite people here on this world. But for anyone that has children, you know they can be pains, right? Super immature, needy, just bugging you all the time, right? Some of you who don't have kids, you're like, oh, my gosh, how could you say that? Because you don't have kids yet. (laughs) Wait till you have a kid or two. Or if not, just run over to, uh, to the kids' ministry, right? You'll see it really fast. But what Paul is, is saying here, he, he equates these, these younger Christians, this immaturity as, as to and fro, being thrown around to every wave of doctrine, and we're called to see even those fully mature. Let me give you some, some ideas of what we're talking about when we talk about immature Christians. These guys are, are still growing in their faith. We all are growing, but they are still on that milk. They're growing. They're not fully grounded in proper doctrine. You can tell these Christians, you know, anything, and, and they're going to be, again, tossed to and fro. These are the ones who are easily captured by what culture may teach on, on money and power and sex while ignoring what Scripture teaches. These Christians are also the ones who, who view church as a spiritual marketplace, right? They come in, and they look at the church and be like, what do you got from me, right? How can you fill me up? What can, what can you give to me? They're consumers, if you will. And I can say that because I'm not here, right? I'm going to leave later on. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing shots right now. I'm out the door, right? You guys, there's a, those are those consumers. And these are the ones who are having a harder time walking worthy of the calling that they now have in Christ because they refuse to die to themselves, you also see in this immaturity, this, these people not taking responsibility for what they're called to do. We are all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And when they're given that commission, if you will, they, they cringe a little bit. Because sharing the gospel, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. That's the, that's the missionary's job. That's not my job. In reality, it is. We are all called to do this work of advancing the kingdom. And so we see this this immaturity kind of taking place. But if you can compare and contrast that to the mature Christian, then everything that we just heard about the dying to self and and fighting for unity, those who are active, they struggle just like everyone else, but they realize that this maturity, it takes time. They know that they're going to make mistakes, they will fall, but they also realize that they have to die to themselves 
for the sake of the body. And they see that this, this need to fight for unity even when others aren't because they love the church. They love the church because they realize the church is what Christ died for. And as a result, the mature Christian seeks to be unified in Christ. Going back to the dance floor illustration, we've got a lot of people who love the cha-cha slide, right? And they're going to stick with the cha-cha slide. They, they're going to dance to the cha-cha slide. And as soon as you introduce something like the wobble, they're not sure about that. And some of you are like, what's the wobble? Exactly. Right? Church, Jesus is calling us to see us fully mature. We need to get people to stop showing up and start growing up. We, I love it in, in Psalm chapter 1, it talks about the righteous man being planted by the river. And if that's the case, we need to be a generation of trees grounded and growing, not weeds that can be easily plucked. These verses show us that to see the church mature, it has to be united in this. We have to be united in this. The church is supposed to be a mobilized army, not a spoiled child waiting to be fed. So how do we do this? There's three ways I think we need to do this. Number one, speak the truth in love. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we see we are supposed to speak the truth in love. And then going back to this idea of unity, this unity isn't just the idea of, you know, can't we all just get along? It's, it's not that. As I stated earlier, it is the unity in our union with Christ. We see that this unity is that of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. When it talks about immaturity, that, that we have to fight against it, ultimately it's us being influenced by, by bad and tricky doctrine. We have to fight against that. Maturity is equated to being sturdy and sound doctrine. And in order to do this, we must speak the truth in love. We have to be okay with calling things out that do not line up with Scripture. Now, many of us have a hard time of finding the balance of speaking the truth in love and, and speaking the truth in spite, right? We have a hard time finding that, that line. But here's the thing. We must be mindful that we should be seeing our brothers and sisters be unified in faith and knowledge, ultimately unified in the sound doctrine of Jesus. Any efforts, the unity of the body of Christ, that minimize the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God will not build up the body. And so that leads us to the second thing we have to do. We need to play our part. It says the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. See, when there's a part of the body that's not functioning properly, the others have to respond. It was a couple years ago I had uh, ACL surgery, right? And after my surgery, I, I realized as I was walking and, and doing everything, my, my back was hurting, my, my legs was hurting and all that good stuff, so I had to go to physical therapy. And as I was doing my physical therapy, one of the things that they told me is like, man, you, you want to get your knee strong again? You got you to strengthen, use your, use your lower leg to strengthen up that knee. You want to get your knee to start functioning properly, you got to work out that upper leg to, to, to make your knee, knee stronger. You, you want that knee to function properly, you got you to strengthen up your core. You got to do your squats and all that lame stuff. We have to do that. And then what happened eventually 
you guys can see him walking normally. The body responded well. It, it responded to the weak part. And so it should be the same for us. When you think of the anatomy of the human body, it's, it's amazing, right? I already said, we're, we're beautifully and wonderfully made. When it's working together, it's art in motion, from healing itself from cuts, from, from sending messages to take care of, of itches, right? If I want to clap, I can clap. Like if I want to walk, I can walk. If I want to sing, I want to sing. If I can dance, I can dance. If I walk in the middle of the night and I stub my pinky toe on the couch, everything just shuts down, right? <laughs> like when it works the right way, it's doing what it's supposed to do. We have to play our part. The body is called to function together. And guys, that includes you. What do you have? What has God given you that you have yet to use for the body? Some of you are amazing at mentoring young couples. Play your part. Some of you should be your, your great encouragers. Start encouraging. Play your part. Some of you have yet to sign up and serve here at the church. Play your part. Some of you should probably be, be leading a, a life group, but you haven't even joined one yourself. Play your part. What has God called you to do that you have yet to play your part in? You see, when you view the church as the body, when you see it functioning together, we begin to increase our, our dependence on each other. And it's not as a, as a functional Savior, right? We understand that our Savior is, is Jesus Christ. But we understand that we need each other to see the fullness of the body function. So when I mess up, which I have, I'm expecting someone to come to speak to me the truth and love to point me back to the knowledge of our Savior, not to continue in my sin. When your pastor's here, when they, when they call you out on something, it isn't to belittle you. It's to see you grow in, in holiness and the knowledge of God, to be a part of the maturing process of the body, to see you play your part. And finally, we need to depend on and look to Jesus. We already saw this in verse 13, that Jesus is the model set for us to look to in knowledge and maturity and his fullness. We also see that Christ gives the gifts, and he is the one who has placed the leaders here to equip the church. And as we seek to make disciples, I think it's important for us to ultimately look at the ultimate disciple maker to make this a reality in the body. But finally, we need to ask ourselves, why do we do this? All of this is how the wisdom of God is revealed. It's crazy to me. I wake up on a, on a regular basis, and I'm just blown away that God would use broken individuals to get his thing done. But yet, he does. That's the beauty in all this too, right? That through Jesus, you and I are as holy as we'll ever be, but yet we're still a work in progress. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we will mess up way more than succeed when it comes to this, but we still have an opportunity to display that wisdom that he wants to save us in to an unbelieving world and to the spiritual rulers in high places. We have an opportunity to rest in this, that God is going to use his church and show that his purposes are moving and that they will never stop. If God will use us, we can believe that this will get done through the power and name of Jesus Christ because this is his church. He died for it. He loves it way more than you and I ever will. Amen? But here's the thing. I, I understand and I know that there are people here who, 
They, they're hearing about the church and, and this thing. You're on the outside looking in, if you will, right? You've been burned by the church. You know that there are all types of churches. And you're looking at it and you're like, man, nah, this, this thing isn't for me. There's a, there's a lot of craziness that has taken place. Can I just say that I realize that as Christians, we have not been as unified as we're supposed to be, what we've been called to be. And what's even crazier still is that there are many Christians who would agree with me in that, that we have not been unified the way that we should be. But here's the thing. One thing that we can agree on is that we are all broken, that we are all sinners, that we are all in need of a Savior. And another thing that we will agree on is that that is the most important decision that you could make for your life is placing your faith in that Jesus. Not in a church, not in a a system, but in the body, in the, the, the head of that body, which is Jesus Christ. We can agree on that. We want you to believe that truth. Because another thing that we will agree on, we do not want to see you separated from that love that's found in Christ Jesus. And so the the thing that you have to wrestle with tonight is we're not going to be perfect. In fact, you're going to find more hypocrites in church than you will find anywhere else. But Jesus is not a hypocrite. And that is who we follow. That is who we submit to. That is who we're calling you to turn your attention to. So we're not going to give up praying for you. We're not going to give up asking you, will you make this decision? In fact, I'm going to be here. I'd love to speak with you. Pastor Mark would love to speak with you. There are so many people, elders here, who would love to speak with you on what does it look like to follow Jesus. Do not leave out of here today without making that decision. Because here's the thing, when you make that decision, you're going to be part of the dysfunction. (laughs) But we're a family, and we are growing in this together to see Jesus fully mature us for his glory. Again, this is his thing. He invites us to be a part of it.